Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hi and welcome. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. And what I do before I begin every one of these shows, and I just realized it's been, I think, 15 years now. It's been a long time. And I do something, a little ritual before I begin each show. That's I said to myself in my heart, I breathe and I visualize you. And I've actually met a lot of people who listen over the years. And so I actually have met a lot of you in person. And then a lot of people listen who I don't know and haven't met. And I just center myself on my heart and visualize you and hold the highest intention for you. And also visualize you as part of this wonderful community of healing. I realize more and more and more that when we live in isolation, when we don't feel connected, it has really severe effects, long-term effects on our health. In fact, one key study by a researcher called Stephen Cole really caused a stir a few years back. I talk about this, this study in my book, studying my book, The Gene in Your Genes, and Cole found that a whole group of genes were epigenetically regulated by loneliness. When people were lonely, they felt no social connection. They didn't feel one with anything larger than themselves. They didn't have a sense of being part of a group, part of a conscious group of friends and, and people on the same path, that actually was affecting gene regulation in really dramatic ways. All kinds of aging markers were being affected, all kinds of immune markers, health markers. And there, there's some key markers that we look at in epigenetics. Two of them are immunity and inflammation. And what you want to see in this research is you want to see if you're doing all the right things, you'll see immunity going up and you'll see inflammation going down. And we've seen that now in study after study. Those two markers are such powerful ones. And he found that Stephen Cole and his research team found that loneliness was one of the most powerful regulators of gene expression. So with the pandemic and with all the social disruptions and lockdowns that have happened in the last little while, it hasn't been possible to get together in person as much. And yet we still can get together in consciousness. I know when I meditate in the morning, close my eyes, I let go of all my local programming, my local awareness, and drift off into non-local mind. I feel one with a whole community of being, community of consciousness all over the world. And I have a couple of new products coming out next year, which you'll get a chance to sample uh, soon. They aren't available yet, but I have a giant product launch coming out with Mind Valley, the largest transformational media uh, company in the in the in the world, and it's called Mystic Brain. And I end each of the meditations of Mystic Brain. And I just point up like this, and I just say, I'll see you up there in meditation land. And I do feel that sense of connection with people because all over the world, every day, millions of people are meditating. And we're joining this community of consciousness where we are one, not just each other in shared values of setting time aside for love and compassion and joy. We're actually attuning to something much greater than ourselves. In my books, I call that non-local mind. 
And from non-local mind, we download that sense of joy, that sense of resourcefulness, that creativity, that wisdom, that inspiration we don't otherwise have. So before each show, I just tune into my heart. I visualize you. I visualize as part of being something larger than ourselves. And it really then frames my experience during the day and frames our experience together during this hour. So I urge you to, as you're listening, be inspired, take away a lot of good ideas from today's hour, but also make sure you tune in to community as often as you need to. Tune in when you're having a few free moments during the day. Tune in certainly in meditation and use the free meditations on my website. Go to blissbrain.com. At blissbrain.com, you can download eight free meditations. And we're showing in MRI trials, these literally shape the structure and function of your brain. And it takes 28 days for an MRI to show dramatic changes to key areas of the brain. It doesn't take long doing those meditations on blissbrain.com. So go there, download the meditations, use these techniques, tune it to everyone doing them all over the world every day. And then you are hooked up to something larger than yourself, community, and that that influences your health. So I urge you to really take action and give yourself that gift of tuning in to all of us there in meditation land and make it a daily practice to support yourself and your well-being. My guest today is Belinda Burnside. And Belinda plays a really important role in my life, and you'll discover how and why in a few moments. And she studied naturopathy and osteopathy in Australia. She lives and works in Petaluma, California for the last 12 years. She has a whole body approach to healing. She really looks at you, looks at her patients, looks at people's mobility, and assesses what their daily lives look like, what hobbies they have, what athletic performance is required of them in the course of their exercise routine. Then she works with the body systems and its innate intelligence to foster your joints moving freely, your pain to be minimized, your stiffness to go away, and to have fast recovery from all the demands that this our lives place on us. I go to Belinda usually once a month by can. She has a very busy schedule. It's actually quite hard to get an appointment with her. <laughs> and I'm just so delighted to welcome you on the show, Belinda. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It was so funny when I was reading your bio on your website, I realized that there are a lot of things I don't know about you. Of course, I know your healing gifts and talents. I know your qualifications. But like I, I, I'm so curious as to what first drew you into the field of healing. Well, I was raised in a very health-conscious household, home, and my mother is a Solomon Islander, and the Solomon Islands still are a very remote part of the earth and people very isolated there in the South Pacific thousands of islands spread out very they live a very natural life the tides and very subsistence living they would still be in out deep in the villages hunter-gatherers in a way gardeners and yet they're very happy because they have all their basic needs of life and I spent every summer there with my Solomon Island family and living in nature and with the tides and and I think that that was really my foundation for it. And then, of course, you translated that into naturopathy, and that makes sense. And then how did the osteopathy part come in? Oh, just first of all, let's explain to us, for those who don't know what an osteopath is, what that field does. An oste- osteopathic practice is based on four principles, that the body is a whole, the body is capable of self-healing, and that your structure 
your anatomy is related to your function, your physiology, and treatment is based on that. And it, it's a little confusing, I think, here in America because it's merged somewhat with the medical profession so that there are DOs, doctors of osteopathy, who practice similarly to an MD. So what I would be considered a traditional osteopath here, following 100% hands-on approach. And what I got three of them, the body as a whole, the body is capable of self-healing, structure is based on function. What was the fourth of those big ideas? Well, treatment is based on those three that you just said. We okay. apply the treatment based on those three principles. And that, and that is the fourth principle. Okay. And treatment. then what drew you into that field? Well, so within it, yes. So I was saying about with the naturopathy and the, my grandmother and aunts using the herbal medicine. And then I found out that was a field of study. And I did that. And I was working as a naturopath. And, and while I was still studying natu naturopathic medicine, I started doing Taoist Tai Chi. And the principles were very similar. At that point, I didn't even know about osteopathy or what osteopathy was. But the principles were the body as a whole, the body is self-healing, that your internal, it's like an in, it's considered an internal art. So the movements, the movements you do, massage your organs. And, and I studied Taoism and Taoist Tai Chi and just, yeah, there is a real overlap in the principle. And I have just happened to read some little blurb about osteopathy one day and it was a, a light bulb moment. I just, it literally like hit me, like I have to study this. And recently I was just reading the autobiography, uh, the biography of the founder of osteopathy, A.T. Still. He founded it here in the United States in, in Kirksville, Missouri. And I was reading some of these quotes and I was thinking he is, he's like really Taoist in his approach and it comes from that. And, and Dr. Still developed osteopathy from this deep observation of nature. And that's how the ancient Taoists came up with a lot of their observations and writings was this, was this lifelong observation of, of nature. Yeah, it's so interesting how all these old systems like uh, acupuncture, the idea of the meridians and some of the other energy systems are, are, are so ancient and they are derived from, from observa observation. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have world. interpretation. We had, yeah, observation of the natural world. And, and so I, what I do sometimes is to mess with people's minds in a, in a live workshop, Linda. I pull out an old Chinese acupuncture chart and you see all these, this very strange looking Mandarin over there, 2000 years old with these lines running through his body. It's always a he for some reason, never a she, but see all these, you know, these 365 or so points on the body, these meridian lines. And I pull out a galvanometer, a little instrument that measures charge on the skin. I get a, get a volunteer from the audience and then I put my hand on their shoulder or on their hand or someplace where I can make a circuit with their skin and I run this galvanometer over their skin. There's no response until I hit an acupuncture point that starts beeping like crazy. A light starts flashing. I move it a millimeter away. That stops. And so now we can use instrumentation to see these points and measure these energies. But I just, I'm just so awed by these ancient sages like thousands of years ago. They could actually read the body's energies like in a way which we, we just aren't trained to do today. And I think that just again, back to nature, I think that we are more disconnected from nature and the natural world. So we've perhaps lost some of that ability. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you work on me, I can feel things shifting and uh, you don't do any kind of really dramatic adjustments it's not like a chiropractic adjustment where you have your snap crackle pop <laughs> i don't know how to do those type of adjustments i have 
found like over the decade of working with my hands that yeah, the more skilled I get with my hands, the more gentle I need to be, that the body, you know, listen on these deeper layers. Interesting. So the less physical force you need, the more you're, as you work on those deeper layers? Yeah. And then the teachings and the studies of osteopathy by some of the them the greats as we would say in osteopathy started going that way anyway like William Sutherland who is the osteopath who came up with the craniosacral concept a lot of people are familiar with the craniosacral therapy he actually his teachings as he got deeper and deeper into his his deep understanding of the cerebrospinal fluid and was to to observe to observe that health that self-healing mechanism to observe it without interrupting it. And then there's something in that interface of the practitioner observing and holding that space and then the body, body's the inner therapeutics. Wow. So it's the practitioner holding the space, noticing the flows, and that then actually stimulates the body to balance itself or restore itself. Yeah. It's like a community. It is like a communication with that hmm. inner intelligence and self-healing intelligence of the body, which isn't, isn't the same as like our mental intelligence, that there is that underlying intelligence there. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, again, approaching the body with uh, respect for that rather than trying to manipulate it from the outside is, is so, so powerful. And so give me, I'd love to have you in each segment of the show, just share a story or two of people you work with and how that subtle level intervention has made a a big difference in their material life. I know when I first came to you, I had a lot of back pain. And with, with both working with you and also starting to use a built-up shoe again, my back pain has gone away with my wife on a corroded cuff injury. And that's made a huge difference. So I'd love you to share each segment too, a couple of stories of people who just working on these subtle levels saw dramatic improvements. Well, just an, an example about that with subtle craniosacral work is someone with like a bite, a bite discrepancy where they've had their teeth doesn't meet properly and then you get tension in the jaw, go on to the dentist, had teeth filed back and many, many dental visits and then just balancing out that cranial mechanism and, and those fine tiny movements that are present in the cranium and the upper neck and then and as soon as they get off the table they can feel that their bite that their bite isn't feels good like it connects and there's less tension in the jaw headaches is something I work with a lot people's that have had headaches for, for sometimes decades that resolve headaches and migraines with normalizing normalizing the where the flow is and, and the alignment of the body and then how do you how do you perceive that flow how do i perceive that flow the languaging i always find the languaging tricky because it is it is a perception for me it, well it's definitely that what we call palpation so palpation is that ability to feel through our hands, every single person that has hands has it. You know, you touch something, you can feel the texture, the hot, cold pressure. So we all have that. And then as osteopaths, we develop that sense of touch and then that palpation. However, sense, like our senses, we're taught in school, oh, there's five senses, senses, sight, hearing, taste, touch, 
there are more than five senses and, and even beyond like the sixth sense, like the psychic sense, there's, there's a lot of senses. We are a sensory being. So I'm listening with my hands and sometimes I perceive it, sometimes I actually perceive it in my own body. Like I'll suddenly like feel something in my body. Like even if it's a person's pain, I'll suddenly get this sharp pain in my sacroiliac joint something go oh and then I'll move my hands to there and it's not that's not you know traumatic for me or anything because I know it's not mine and I just it's an it's just information and I want to work with it so, so sometimes it's like that sometimes it sometimes I even see like colors like it's visual sometimes it's just it's just literally like the flow in the body that I'm perceiving and moving with it and listen and listening that way it's different it's just different but that those are those are the ways and it's different each person really is unique it's not there's no formula per se so you're both listening to their body and their field and at the same time, you're also listening to your body and your field. And so that conversation is giving you the information to, to actually figure out where to intervene. We're going to go to a break right now, but I'd like to invite you to go to Belinda's website, which is Nimbus, N-I-M-B-U-S, equine, E-Q-U-I-N-E. And we'll talk when we come back after a break about the equine part of it as well and more about energies, flows in, in, of energy in your body, and also how energy methods can help you heal. If you're listening to High Energy Health, my name is Dawson Church. We'll be right back after a break in just a moment. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you the leading edge of health and well-being. Each week on the show, you bring yourself here <laughs> and learn new things, get inspired, hear about science, hear about healing. And I'm just so wildly excited to be part of this whole field of consciousness, field of endeavor, field of awareness, and see it changing. I believe we're in the midst of a massive seismic tectonic change in healing and healthcare. And I go into that a little bit at the end of my book, This Brain, just all the ways in which this is changing. And also, I'm working on a new book next year on the big picture and how human society and civilization is changing as a result of this and has been changing for the last several hundred years in, in a remarkable way. So you can pick up a copy of Bliss Brain at the website blissbrain.com. Also, please visit Belinda's website at Nimbus Equine, E-Q-U-I-N-E, like in horses, nimbusequine.com. So Belinda, I know you have done this work with horses, and there's a whole branch of acupuncture for horses, which I didn't even know existed up a few years ago. So just share with us what that whole field's about. Well, they really are beasts of burden and they've, it is said that horses evolved us too. You know, we've, we developed faster transportation and, and farming methods and, and now it's primarily companionship and pleasure. And actually horses are 
are healing too. They're healing us in many ways and uh, a lot of the horses I work with are performance horses. So they're athletes. They're athletes. They carry a rider on their back and they're asked to do very specific tasks, movements, and they need to be balanced and mobile and pain-free also. And so where does that information about how to use acupuncture with them come from? Osteopathy. I'm not an acupuncturist. Okay. Okay. So, but I know that I see these these charts of their energy flows and their 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 energy points, and and that presumably shifting their energy is going to have an effect on their their bodies as well, in the same way that an osteopathic treatment of a human being would have. So, where do people get this this data on those? I know, like we, because you mentioned acupuncture, and when I was studying osteopathy for animals, we did have someone lecture to us about acupuncture and horses and. The chart for the horse meridians did come from the human chart, so it was superimposed, and as well as as well as like the techniques and what did the the knowledge and the information came from working with humans and with osteopathy. It's it's all about knowing an anatomy, so working with the horse's anatomy and physiology, so what their function is and their form and their anatomy, and and again bringing that into alignment and movement, freeing up movement, balancing that right and left, front and back, top and bottom. Hmm. And then how do you get called in to work with a horse? Does the owner notice that something is off with them or how, how, what, what, what would trigger a consultation? Yeah, an owner or a trainer or a vet will recognize that they're not moving easily to the left as compared to the right or they're suddenly refusing work or they're tossing their head or there's and there's certain responses that a horse will do that are that are painful responses if you check along their spine and or they like you, you have to clean their hooves every day to get the mud and dirt out so that they're balanced and sometimes a horse will suddenly not want to pick their foot up so that's a sign there's lots of little signs horses are People often say, oh, I wish they could talk. And they do communicate, obviously not in words, but there's all these little subtleties that you pick up that is a form of communication from them. Wow. So when you're obviously you can't lay them down on a table the way you do with humans and uh, and actually use manipulation of their, their, their joints, what do, you, what do you do? They're standing is their natural state. So they stand, they stand. And then like with a person, sometimes when you're doing a manipulation, you position their body a certain way. Whereas with the horse, like I would position my body and use my, my positioning and my, where my hands and are as a vector to their joint or muscle. So you are actually applying some pressure there. Sometimes. I mean, I do both. I do direct pressure or I do the craniosacral work as well. I mean, as an osteopath, we learn literally hundreds of techniques for all every part of the body and, and then we apply according to what's presenting to us in the moment. And then do you see energy sometimes or colours around horses as well as human beings? Yeah, you know, I I don't really see the colours. I never thought about that till you just asked it that just now. No, I do feel it in my body sometimes. They're such subtle creatures. Even though they're big and strong and powerful, they're really sensitive and subtle. 
So I really do perceive it and sense it mostly through my hands and through their, yeah, through my hands and how their bodies. And I'm also actually really watching with my eyes when I'm treating a horse and how their body is responding moment to moment in in the treatment, the changes that I'm feeling under my hands because everything, everything really responds all at once in a horse. Wow. I, I'm just trying to picture that because they're, they're such enormous beings. I was with my wife at um, Mirabelle Spa in Arizona a couple of years ago, and they have a whole horse whisperer training there. And they train people to come there and get equine therapy and also just to relate to the horses and there's this official guy who was like the horse whisperer at Merville. And uh, I, I remember going there and and like we were again being, being, being trained to just pick up the horse's hoof and clean the hoof. And uh, everyone else could do it and I couldn't. And they said that I was just too, too nice, too, too gentle. <laughs> no, the, the horse would not cooperate with me. And what, what, what I tried, he cooperated with everyone else, but not me. <laughs> he was trying to tell you something. Not sure what, but something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, he, he clearly was not, not meeting my, my subtle energies. But You know, I think he might have even, horses are healers, and he might have even been protecting you, Dawson. I mean, I wasn't there, but you're very tall. And for you to bend over and hold his leg up, that, that would have been a little bit of a strain on your back. And that horse might actually have been helping you out there. Wow. Mm. Wow. Hmm. Mm. I, 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 you know, animal-human encounters, too, are so special. I know I have several grandchildren and just watching them when they're really young and having that encounter with whatever it might be. I took them to a place this last weekend and they had a chance to spend time with with calves and cows. There were some ground squirrels there. There were several other kinds of animals and them looking at the eye of a cow. Cows are these huge, big brown eyes. And like the youngest grandchild is a year old and watching this baby looking at these big eyes and it was clear she was having this like real explosion of understanding and consciousness about being uh, close to another another being it was so exciting belinda to have that encounter i'm sure that you know we we have those encounters and we can foster those encounters and i know that in my case really enriched us we're going to go to a break right now my name is dawson church you're listening to high energy health for more on belinda's work go to her website nimbus equine e-q-u-i-n-e.com nimbus equine.com please stay tuned we'll be right back after a break in just a moment Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church and you're listening to High Energy Health. As you can tell, I love doing this show. I love sharing with you. I love being here every week. I love spending time this way. And it's wonderful to affirm our sense of community, our sense of being, and share these exciting health breakthroughs. They literally can shift your life. Many times before the show, I've mentioned the landmark study of 30,000 people that showed that optimists live on average 10 years yet longer than pessimists. Just your mind, just your attitude, just your mood can literally trigger a whole bunch of epigenetic changes in your cells that lead to much longer lifespan. So it's worth getting inspired here and then bring these ideas into practice in your life. So whether you meditate, whether you tap, whether you spend time in nature, 
whether you find a really wonderful healer to work with you, it's worth taking this information and taking action on it. For more on Belinda's work, go to her website, which is nimbusequine.com. And to get a copy of my new book, Bliss Brain, go to the website, blissbrain.com. During the break, Belinda and I were talking about being close to nature and also the energy of a practitioner. I'd love to explore those two themes in this segment. And so maybe the, 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 the practitioner one first, Belinda, that you were saying when, you, when, you are, when you're the patient, when you work with the practitioner, you can feel their energy from the very beginning. Just, just share with us about that and how that plays an important role in the healing encounter. So, well, as a practitioner, as a practitioner, I, it's really important, our intention, our intention in the moment and, and the words we say. And, and, and I often feel that in my practice that that's, um, that's a gift that I give to people is, and it, and it, it is practicing osteopathy because, because Dr. Still, the founding father of osteopathy said, it's up to the osteopath to see the health. Like any physician, anyone can, can find the disease, can see the disease and, and the osteopath needs to see the health and that's what I do and that's what I speak to the person and that's what I practice and and I see how important that is in in how it's reflected back and people are encouraged and you know any a, a, a doctor's words are powerful and they can create so much hope or so much fear and and that's that's a big part of of healing yeah and when you choose somebody choosing healing team members of a healing team that reflect that is so so important and i encourage people to apply that lens of perspective to both alternative health natural health and conventional health like you want a doctor and a nurse who is really kind and caring and tuned in and his energy is good so um your whole your whole healing team should reflect that energy. You were talking a minute ago about to, on the break about being energy sensitive. Tell us more about that too. Did I say energy sensitive? You're being sensitive to, you know, in terms of being treated when you're working with, with someone. Oh, oh, to the person. I, I, I don't think I said energy sensitive. I'm just sensitive to the whole person. Like it's always about the whole and just to, to who I'm with and, and how, like it's what their intention is or, even their thoughts and I think I think it, what it boils down to is if someone's being really present with you you know in the in the moment they're being present like like you and I right now and, and you're being really present we've been present with each other and listening and communicating and 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 as we know there's so much of communication is nonverbal and I think that's it it's it's is someone able to be really present with you as a person without all this other noise and thoughts and wandering your mind off to what you're going to have for lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> I already had lunch. I made sure I had lunch before coming to present. Yeah, you want to make sure people uh, are have those competencies that they do know how to diagnose, do know how to treat, do know how to prescribe, do know where to taper, all those all those bits of knowledge is really important in the medical profession and yet it rides on that level of 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 attention of presence of intention and so if you have someone who has both 
<laughs> yes, and that's what my mentor that I studied with, Dr. James Jealous, he passed away in February in the biodynamic osteopathic field. And he used to say, don't worry, all your knowledge is there. It's all there. It's all there to fall back on. And so you know there's that substrate of knowledge back there in the background and you can be with the, with the person in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've done years and years and years of study and I still study, you know, I study continually and there's, there's continuing continuing education and and that's all there. But in the moment, I'm present with the person. Yeah, you can really feel that. I know as as someone you work with, I can really feel that. And it's wonderful to go into that that sanctuary of presence and attention. I think it's it's true too for me, Belinda, in our and other relationships as well. Like me when I I just finished a marketing meeting, for example, with our, our marketing company and just just pretty tuning into the people and, and the meeting and, and tuning into my wife, tuning into my grandchildren and children and other people around me. So that that gift of presence uh healthcare is not exempt from that requirement <laughs> yes that unfortunately oh well let's not go down the, that rabbit hole but yes <laughs> healthcare and and doctors and how pressed they are for for time and and a lot of what they what is imposed upon a, a physician in even like you mentioned kaiser in the break yeah it's all about certain other values right having that in place and it's and there's sometimes that presence is lost which is why there is such an explosion in in holistic medicine and alternative medicine and people seeking that out because they're that's you know that's what where where they're getting it yeah, and the average doctor visit is around nine minutes, mm. whereas you, you spend an hour with mm. your patients. How did you come to that that time frame of an hour? You know, it's interesting because I I can do how I sometimes do half hour treatments, and I when I was in Australia, I used to do on the half hour, and then I just found I found that um, well, part of it's practical. You know, I don't have a receptionist, and we do the scheduling and all that. That's that's a piece of it, and then the, the charting and all that. But you know, I just found that like is really busy and it is a chance for people what I've just observed that people get to really it takes time for people's systems people's nervous systems we're just bombarded with so much busyness and information and it's like then it finally just gets to I like going slow like that you know we talked about the Solomon Islands and and that's actually called the islands lost in time. And, you know, even people that go to Hawaii, they say like island time. And it's that. I feel like that's part of it. It's like I don't want to rush people out. I just want to I just want to slow down. I just want us all to slow down. And the byproduct is you get a chance to slow down too. You aren't rushed and you have probably yeah. much lower stress level like that. And when I see you, you don't, you don't look stressed to me. Maybe maybe you're, you're hiding it well, but... <laughs> <laughs> They look pretty relaxed. Well, happy to see you, Dawson. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Whereas the people I usually see at Kaiser are Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember one time in Australia, I when I was living there, and I went to a doctor's appointment, and and it, she was running late, and I was waiting, and it was fine. She got me in, and she sat me down. She's like, I could just see it in her face, and she was stressed. And then I went, How are you? And she paused, <laughs> and she did a deep breath. And a big sigh and, and the energy completely shifted. And she said, so, she replied, honestly, she said something like, oh, busy or something. But it just changed everything, like just giving her that little moment to pause. Yeah. Yeah, and tune in. Yeah, yeah. I know I uh, start and end every 
visit to my doctor, which is usually once a year, with a with a hug. You know, I'm there. He is. So I just love, love seeing him. He enjoys seeing me, and so it's already a deep human connection. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I'm chatting today with Belinda Burnside. You can see more about her at her website, nimbusequine.com. And for a copy of my new book, you can get the book for free at blissbrain.com. You pay shipping and handling, but not only is the book free, but there are eight free meditations there. So all of that's at blissbrain.com. And we'll be back for a closing segment in a couple of minutes. So please stay tuned and thank you in just a moment. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I share with you the leading edge of health, well-being, and happiness. And there's so much to be grateful for. There's so much to be aware of that supports and nurtures us. Just taking a breath. I know some days I sit there, I've been doing a little practice called 100 Conscious Breaths, and this breathing consciously 100 times will really help you settle into your body and settle into the moment. So whatever you do to bring yourself into the present moment, get out of the future, get out of the past, come to the now is well worth doing. We have lots of tips and techniques on the show too. So please do join us every week. We love to have you fill your mind and your life with these inspiring ideas. One of the things we talked about earlier was, Belinda, you're growing up in the Solomon Islands and this whole concept now in psychology has actually been this diagnosis proposed called nature deficit disorder, where a lot of kids are growing up, they're in a concrete jungle, and even if they're not in a concrete jungle, they are not having much contact with nature. And I remember my daughter when she was like seven, eight, or nine, sitting in the backseat of the car with, with a friend of hers, and they were having a conversation via text. They were texting oh each other in the backseat. <laughs> That's because it's all glued to their screens, you know, the screen time takes over play. Doesn't mean playing outside, it means playing a video game. So you you got had this gift of growing up in Solomon Islands and being so close to nature. Just share with us what that that gave you. Mm, it gave me a lot. And I and I will say I have noticed when I treat people, people that say live in the country uh, on a property, it's different. Like their system responds differently than someone who lives in a city. The nervous system's bombarded with so much. It gave me that appreciation of the natural world and space and the tides and and that is a concept in osteopathy and in the in the cranial concept is the tide. And there's the tide that flows, cerebral spinal fluid and, and all of bodily fluids and as things fluctuate so for me when I'm when I'm thinking about that when I'm palpating that when I'm even reading about it when I'm in in an osteopathic class or lecture I actually think about it physically from being in the tides and in the ocean and and I, I think that does inform me a lot yeah and seeing that person's body as part of nature and the tides in their body Absolutely, absolutely. And that's and that's another another concept in osteopathy is the breath of life. You know, it's it's like life. Like what is life? Life is breathing through us, life is motion and 
you know, motion that our bodies are just undergoing all these processes in every moment. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing how they all happen below the level of our conscious minds, just without us having to, like, remember to digest, remember mm-hmm. to pump our hearts. All these things are just happening. Mm-hmm. Like, every cell has is going through 100,000 processes every second. It's just amazing. All this is happening to- totally below the level of our conscious awareness. So we are miracles in that way. Miraculous, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, that whole phenomenon of being disconnected with nature is is really something which I think is going to affect a human being, especially if, if they if it persists for a long time, if for many, many years, they're not plugging into nature, it's really going to affect them. And I'm, I'm so curious that you find that people who live like on a farm in the country, uh, a lot of people here in Petaluma, where we live, are, are, are like that. I think movement yeah. too, and, and talking about movement, I think that's that's probably a piece of it too. You're just naturally going to be out there. And I mean, speaking of horses, I really noticed that with, I treat a lot of equestrians, that equestrians, are, their body, they're just physically and mentally strong because it's that constant movement. You have to do a lot of movement to be around a horse, to, to practice that equestrian sport, to just be feeding your horse and caring for your horse. And even though a lot of them have injuries, like serious injuries that they've fractured pelvises and had head injuries, they recover. They recover and they're just strong and vital and vibrant and healthy because they keep moving. So even if you do get injured, you'll recover quicker if you're if you're doing this. I know I, I've been focusing for the last while on getting in two exercise bursts every day. So in the morning and the afternoon, I spend you know 20, 30, 40 minutes. And I just have a, I'll go out for a, mountain biking i'll go out kayaking i'll go out for a walk i'll do exercise bands i'll do something to to do that because it's so easy just to settle in and and get sedentary so what what do you personally find most useful in regards to exercise well i think it has to be what a person enjoys Uh you know they say that walking is one of the best exercises it is what the human i mean we're upright or most other animals are on four limbs we're an upright animal and we were designed to walk walking is good and talk about nature i mean that's that's easy to go and walk in nature and even if you're not in nature even if you're outside like there's the trees there's there's just find a tree the sky things like that swimming's great swimming can be so great for so many things but you have to enjoy swimming and know how to swim it just depends what people are. just have to find joy in it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the only wrong answer is not doing any of it. So do something. Whatever brings you joy is good. Yeah. And then make sure you're you're picking something. Yeah, even just being outside, there's been some studies now of this phenomenon in Japan called nature bathing, where people mm-hmm. forest bathing. But yeah. they go to the forest and showing that epigenetic changes happen. But one cool study published two years ago showed that people like in New York City or Tokyo if they just went to Central Park or went to, into a park and spent a little time there, those same epigenetic shifts were happening as those people going forest bathing. So exactly, because there's trees, there's birds, there's yeah, yeah, sky. Yeah, it doesn't take making some kind of grand commitment to hiking to the top of the mountain or having a big expedition. Just just basic engaging with nature. And then just in the last couple of minutes, Belinda, what other really essential practices do you use in your life that you find are contributors to your health? Well, I mentioned getting into osteopathy via Taoist Tai Chi. So I do that. That has been a practice since I was 19 years old. And 
that uh, really it nourishes the joints, those movements and massages the internal organs. And yeah, that's a big one for me. And I do, I do like yoga and, and re- oh, and, and I do want to say rest. You know, you're talking about how I take the time with people. It's a deep rest when people are lying there and, and, and they, they get to drop in and lie there for a little longer and then just a half hour. And I think, you know, talk about nature deficit. I feel like in this modern culture there's a deficit of rest and people are just driven to just go 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 and accomplish and yeah rest I am I, people often say to me what do you do on the weekends that like, do I like rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh I just feel so good when I've when I've just been able to stop and to rest and relax and not do yeah and for us used to being busy at work and then with our families when we had time alone we often just busy ourselves that way too and yeah and it's nice and it's fun but you know one of my favorite things to do and i don't really do it here so much because the the beach is cold but i just love to lie on a warm beach lie on the sand in the sun and by the ocean oh i love to do that yeah yeah, and wherever you can do that, there are lots of places to do it, even inland. So you find a river, you find a stream, you find a pond near you and do that. Linda, it's been such a pleasure to really get a, a window into your world in this way. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a joy. And when I see you next, I'll know a lot more about you than I knew before. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, everyone who's listening, because you listening, you being here is a real commitment to your health and your well-being. We'll have more next week. Thanks for being here. All the best till then. In just a moment. 